Amen. So in, uh, in my family, uh, certainly with Joel and Miriam, I seem to have developed a bit of a reputation uh, when we are out on a walk for being overly confident in thinking that I know where we are and where we're going. Uh, so, uh, so a couple of years ago, we were down in Devon and we went for a really, a really lovely walk. And um, I maintain to this day that we were never actually lost. But we were definitely not where we were, should have been or were supposed to be. And it, it was a very difficult walk. And then I discovered when we, uh, at the end of the walk, or nearly towards the end of the walk, I discovered that uh, the map had been printed upside down. Can you, literally, can you believe that? The map had been, it had been printed upside down. And, uh, and then towards the end of work, I, I kind of tweaked that and turned it. And suddenly everything made, made sense. But it wasn't my fault that we... It was literally the map had been, been, been um, uh, printed the wrong way up. So um, another occasion, we went down to Cookmere Haven to walk over the Seven Sisters. You ever done that lovely walk from Cookmere Haven? You go over the Seven Sisters, beautiful walk. And um, I thought it would be really nice to go to the beach first and see the sea and then walk up onto the cliffs from the beach, uh, which you can do. Uh, I wouldn't advise it. I realised afterwards the sensible thing to do is from the car park, there's like a sort of fairly gentle, there's a nice sort of gentle incline that sort of takes you up onto the Seven Sisters. If you, if you go down to the beach and then try and get up, there is a path, well it's a sort of path, but it's, it's very narrow and it's very steep and it's sort of chalky so it's all a bit crumbly and it was, it was a bit scary, not going to lie, and... Um, Miriam was in fear of her life uh, going up that, up that little path because at points we were literally on our hands and knees uh, thinking, so, so don't do that. If you want to go over the services, start from the car park and, and go up. But when we got to the top and you look out at the view, it's absolutely stunning. And so you have, you have this kind of difficult climb up the cliff from the beach. But then you get to the top and it was a glorious sunny day. It was just after Easter a couple of years ago. And you just, you look out to sea and you look across the Seven Sisters and, it's, and you just pause for a moment to get your breath and take it all in. Well, that's where we've got to in Romans chapter 5. And if you remember where we've got to over the, the, the beginning of the, the first couple of chapters, it's been quite a steep climb and quite a difficult climb because we've had to deal with the reality of God's wrath against our unrighteousness and our sinfulness uh, we've had to just grapple with the fact that sin spoils us and spoils creation and that in our, in our human state we are without hope, just the depravity of human nature without Christ. And that conclusion that Paul comes to in chapter 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we last time we were sort of climbing up through, through the reality of what Christ has done for us on the cross that means we have we have nothing to boast about. We've done, there's nothing that we can do to achieve our own salvation. It's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross, which is, which is humbling. That we just have to come to the cross on our knees. That it's all by faith and by faith alone. So it's been quite a, a kind of a difficult climb to get to this point. But we've, we've got to a point now where we can just pause and take in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and just rest in the glory of what he's made possible. So I'm going to read um, 
verses 1 to 11. Uh, We're going to focus on verses 1 to 5. And uh, Wednesday at Life Group, we'll we'll tackle the rest because it all gets from verse 12 onwards. It all gets quite complicated and detailed. Uh, So we'll leave that for Wednesday evening. We're just going to focus on, um, uh, say, 1 to 5, but I'll read 1 to 11. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, You may be picking up that um, through this letter, Paul just, just emphasizes over and over and over again, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And this part of the letter, chapter five, uh, begins with a therefore. And uh, therefores are, they're a bit like the buts that we were thinking about last, last week. It's always exciting when you get to a but or a therefore, because uh, the buts are usually there because Paul's explained some bad news. And, and then he says, but God. And uh, now we have a therefore. And whenever there's a therefore, you always need to ask, what is it there for? And, uh, and it's therefore... Because of what God has done, what we've been thinking about, this uh, salvation through faith, this righteousness that is God's gift that he gives to us by faith. And it's all about faith. Uh, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, he writes, uh, chapter 2, just emphasises five times in just a couple of verses, he writes about faith, Galatians uh, three twenty three. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Remember last time I said that the law is like the highway code. It's not our destination. It gets us to our destination. And it's all about faith. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So the tense is is present tense. This Paul's talking about the reality of where we are now because of faith in Christ. And through Christ, we have gained access. I was, um, as I was preparing this, I was thinking back to 
The many times that I've um, uh, travelled overseas and uh, you rock up at the airport and sometimes you have a long, a long way, particularly if you're changing flights in an airport. And um, over the years, I've always looked longingly at people disappearing through the doors into the lounges. Because you know that beyond these doors, there's just a wonderful world that you're never going to inhabit because you can never afford that kind of ticket. And, uh, and, and I remember one stopover in Bogota where my flight, connecting flight was cancelled. I had seven hours in Bogota airport for about three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, there's just hard plastic chairs and, um, and, and various little, but, but you walk past the, you know, the signs, you see the signs to the lounges. And you just have this longing in your heart that I just wish one day I could afford a ticket that would get me through those doors. Into I did have one occasion a few years ago flying back from uh, Pakistan where there was a mix-up with the way my tickets had been booked. And I had to fly back business class. And I had four hours in the business class lounge at Istanbul Airport. And it's like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> it was just a world of wonder. I mean, you just, you walk through the doors and it's like, wow. There were like five different restaurants. There was like this room you could go in and just sit with comfy chairs. There was music playing and the lights are dim. And then there was a dessert bar. There was a guy in there with, um, he looked, I don't know quite how he got in. He was a bit dishevelled and he had a plastic bag, literally like a Tesco's bag. And he was just filling it from the, the dessert bar. <laughs> literally. I'm like, what are you going to do with these? I mean, it was just a beautiful thing. But I only got in because someone else had paid the ticket. That was the point. I'd never, I'd never, I'll probably never get through those doors again. I got through on that occasion because someone, uh, because there'd been a mix-up, someone paid their ticket. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, we've gained access into this grace, into this peace with God. And it's like going through those doors into the, you know, the first-class lounge that suddenly all of this stuff that you only ever dreamt about is possible and it's because of Jesus we've gained access so I want to think a little about what does it look like to gain access into the peace of God and what um, when the Bible talks about peace it's not just talking about the absence of conflict it's talking about everything being as it should be everything being as it should be everything being as God originally intended it to be uh, you know, in our occasionally we get we sort of we get glimpses of this kind of peace in our you know in our human relationships that we have with with one another. Most of the time, most of our human relationships, you know, generally there's a you know there's a bit of friction going on. You know, even even when you love someone very dearly, because we're not perfect, you know, there's there's a bit of friction going on even in the best of marriages. I think when when Sarah and I were first married, there was a lot of what I like to term lively discussions, uh, particularly in the first year that we were married. Uh, we'd have a lot of lively discussions, often over trivial things. And, uh, and sometimes at the end of a lively discussion, uh, we'd find ourselves in different rooms of the house. <laughs> and, uh, and there was a lack of peace. But there were times when everything was, it was like, it just felt everything was as it should be. And it was just, in those moments, it's just the most... It's the most beautiful thing to be in perfect harmony with another person. It's the most lovely thing to know that, that there's, there's just a union of love that is there and everything is, as I say, in our human relationships, it's generally it's a fairly fleeting experience, but uh, we do have them. 
But what God has done in Jesus Christ is enable us to have that kind of relationship with him where everything is as it should be. There's nothing between us. There's nothing hindering that relationship. In John's gospel, John chapter 13, 14, Jesus says this. He says, because I live, you also will live. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, he's looking forward to his resurrection. He says, on that day, you will realise that I am in my Father. He says, on that day, when Jesus is raised from the dead, that's when you'll you'll really understand that he he is fully and properly the Son of God, that he is divine. He says, on that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, that Christ is divine. He is united with the Father. One God, three persons in the Godhead. But then he goes on to say, you will realise that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. You are in me and I am in you. So just think about the implication of what, of what Jesus is saying. He's saying you will realise that I am God. I am in the Father. It's an unbreakable union between me and the Father. So far, so good. But then he says, you will also realise that you are in me and I am in you. Now, what, is, what does that mean? Well, it means that because of Christ, we have union with God. We are in union with God. I said last week, um, you know, every other religion in one way or another, uh, however they speak about it, in one way or another is, is looking forward to the day when that might become true. Is hoping that if enough is done and enough hard work is done and enough striving is done, that perhaps one day that union with God might be possible. Well, what does Jesus say? He says, on that day... You will realise that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And, what, and how, do we, how do we access that? By faith, by believing in Jesus Christ. It's the most, you know, I, I, I was thinking this morning, because um, I was at another meeting yesterday where a guy from Iran was speaking and he was, he was just declaring some wonderful good news. And then he made a comment that um, in another context, um, people will be shouting, Amen, Hallelujah. Which Julio was so. I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to get an audio recording of people cheering Hallelujah, and I'm just going to play it every now and again because because we're all too British and we and we don't do it. But this is an Amen Hallelujah moment that because of faith in Jesus Christ, we can be united with God. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that's how we enjoy peace because of Christ. Um, Paul writes in um, uh, Ephesians chapter two. Uh, verse 5 he says God because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved verse 6 and God raised us up with Christ past tense raised us up and seated us past tense with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus when we put our faith in Christ that's where we are seated with God in heavenly places. Uh, Back in Romans 5, Paul says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace 
in which we now stand. That's our present reality. And nothing, nothing can break that union. Once you're in it, once you've put your faith in Christ and are united with the Father in this glorious union of love, nothing can break it. And it's one of Satan's greatest strategies is to make us think that when we, you know, when we continue to sin and when we mess up and when we make mistakes, in some way that breaks our union with God. Well, it doesn't. Because if it did, then the cross wouldn't have been enough and Jesus would have to come back and die again on the cross in order to to die for the sins that we're now committing. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. So when we say that, it doesn't doesn't break our essential unity with God. It doesn't change the fact that Christ is in us and we are in him. That's why in a couple of chapters time, at chapter 8, Paul will say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is where we live because we've been justified through faith. There's nothing we can do. Yes. (laughs) It's it's so beautiful because it takes away all striving. It takes away this thing of I've got to work hard. I've got to do more. Is, Is God, have I done enough? To make God pleased with me. Have I done enough to appease God? No, you haven't and you never will, which is why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he went and did it for us. This is why it's so glorious. This is why we're just, you know, Paul is just, we're, you know, we're pausing and we're looking out over the view. And the view is stunning. Absolutely stunning, which is why he goes on to say, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is this hope? Is it an uncertain hope? Is it a hope that, uh, you know, a football team might win this afternoon or it might not rain? No, it's not that uncertain hope. It is a certain hope because it's rooted in what Jesus has done. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11 uh, says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's an absolutely rock-solid, cast-iron, guaranteed hope that it is going to happen. And that's why we, and so Paul says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the certainty that one day we will be with God face-to-face, enjoying his glory how beautiful that we will be kind of we'll be back in the garden of eden with adam and eve before they uh, before they sinned before they decided, they decided they could do life better without god when they you know god walked with them in the cool of the evening and they enjoyed the perfection of creation that's the certain hope that we have and that's why we rejoice we're looking forward to that it's a certainty because of what jesus has done for us. We will live in the... Do you remember when we were... Um, the sermon series we did back early in the year in Ezekiel and how often Ezekiel talks about the glory of God and those opening chapters with that wonderful sort of progression through the, the kind of the, the anti-rooms of glory before Ezekiel comes face to face with the glory of God and falls face down that's what, we're going to, that's what we're looking forward to. That's what's going to happen. If, we, if our faith is in Christ, that's where we're going to spend eternity. 
I'll get an amen for that. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what we're going to spend eternity. It's glorious. But even better. It gets even better. It's not just that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, specifically, Paul is talking about, I think, the suffering that comes from living as a follower of Christ in a world that has rejected him. Uh, uh, there's, there's a broader context in thinking about the, the general suffering that we are afflicted by because we live in a broken world and a world that, as we'll, as we'll realise when we get to chapter 7, is subject to decay. So there is illness and there's sickness and there's all sorts of ways in which sin affects us. But I think Paul is talking particularly about the reality of if you follow Christ um, authentically and faithfully, uh, you will get pushback and you will suffer for that faith. Uh, in, in, in the West, for many, many years, we haven't experienced that in any, to any great extent. That is changing. In other parts of the world, it's much worse. But he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. How can you rejoice in your suffering? Well, you rejoice in your suffering when you have, the, have a certain hope that it's not going to last. And one day you will be spending eternity in the glory of God. I remember when I was, when I was a teenager, um, I had most of my teeth filled, uh, which I think was a combination of uh, poor brushing at boarding school, too many sweets, and um, I think uh, potentially one dentist who was lining his pockets by just filling whatever teeth came his, uh, came his way. But, um, but as a teenager, I, I hated the injection, the anaesthetic injection. I hated more than the drilling. So most of my teeth were filled without anaesthetic. Uh, so I'd go to the dentist and, uh, and she'd, they'd like get the, you know, they'd get the syringe and I'd say, I'd, I'd rather not have the... And they would look more worried than I did because they were like, oh, really? But, but literally, I had most of them done as a teenager because I just I didn't like the, you know, the needle going in. And then you've got, a f- you know, it just feels all weird for like hours. Whereas I thought, well, the drilling, it's only going to last a few, it's going to last a couple of minutes and then it'll be over. And so I, um, so I just I kind of put up with it because I thought it's going to stop. It's, it's really uncomfortable, but it's going to stop. I know it's going to stop. I remember there was one where it was a really deep one. And she was, they were getting quite close to the nerve and it was really jangling. And I thought, Ugh. but I thought, no, it's going to stop. It's going to stop. And that's how we can rejoice in our suffering because we know it's not going to last forever. Suffering, when you have that hope, suffering produces perseverance. It's not wasted. How, how can you persevere through suffering? If you think that your suffering is never going to end, you may not be able to persevere through it. Which is, which is why in our, in our, I think in our, in our culture now, increasingly, there's, there's an attitude of, well, if you're in a suffering and you can't see the end of it, we'll end it prematurely. But when you have that hope that actually the promise that God makes is not that we won't suffer, but that he will be with us in it and eventually will be, it produces, it allows you to persevere. You think of the, you know, the martyrs who, who've lost their lives because of following Jesus Christ, the things that they've put up with, hearing from a couple of guys yesterday and the things that they've 
experience because of their faith in Christ. And yet they are joyful and have persevered because they know that God is with them in it. And they have this certain hope that they're looking forward to. And if you persevere through suffering, it builds your character. It strengthens you. It changes you. Um, you know, again, some of the great uh, heroes of the faith who shine and their characters shine because they've persevered through suffering, because they know that, that God is with them in their suffering. And so there's a peace that is available. There is a joy that is available. It shapes your character. And then that takes you back to, uh, to hope. And uh, one of the guys that I was listening to yesterday who's, who um, had to leave Iran in the end uh, because of what was um, happening, he was just the most joyful man. It was just glorious listening to him and uh, just a wonderful sense of humour. Uh, but his character is so, was just so filled with hope, so filled with hope, so filled with love. Why? Because he's rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And that has enabled him to rejoice in his suffering. And that's what enabled us to hope in our suffering. If you are ever disappointed with God because of something that is happening in your life, it's probably a sign that you've misunderstood the promise of God. Because the promise of God was not that if you put your faith in Christ, you won't suffer. And everything will be fine. That's not the promise of God. The promise of Jesus was quite the opposite. It was if you choose to follow me, you will suffer. It's, it comes with the territory. The promise that Jesus makes is I'll be with you. I'll be with you. You'll never be on your own. And that's what allows us to have peace. And, and you know, we've been thinking this morning about how do we live in that place of peace? Well, we... We live in that place of peace to the extent that we're able to hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the finished work of the cross, that because of the finished work of the cross, we are in union with God and nothing can take that away. When we lose sight of that, then we become more and more anxious and feel hopeless. But when we fix our eyes on that reality, then we live in that place of peace and that place of joy that actually even if the worst thing that I can possibly imagine happens to me that's not going to be the end of the story the end of the story is I'm going to enjoy it enjoy eternity in the glory of God amen hallelujah so I just slipped that in myself so um so just to finish um hope does not disappoint us God's hope doesn't disappoint us. Everyone else will disappoint us. Life will disappoint us. Circumstances will disappoint us. Hope doesn't disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This is not just um, theoretical. This is experiential. That God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know intellectually? Do you believe that God loves you because of what we read about what Jesus has done on the, on the cross? Um, uh, just to skip to verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we know intellectually that God loves us. 
because he, he demonstrated it through his son Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. We know that he loves us because there's evidence that we can look to. But do we not only know it, do we feel it? Do we feel the love of God? Have we felt the love of God? Have we experienced the love of God? Because it's about both things. It's about knowing it, but it's also it's about knowing it in our heads. It's also about knowing it in our hearts. Uh, there's a lovely little illustration that um, Nicky Gumbel uses in the Alpha Course. And I'll just read it to you. Uh, it's an illustration from one of the great um, uh, Puritans, Thomas Goodwin, writing about 300 years ago. And uh, he just describes it in this way. He's, uh, he said, he pictured a man walking along a road hand in hand with his little boy. The little boy knows that this man is his father and that his father loves him. But suddenly the father stops, picks up the boy, lifts him into his arms, embraces him, kisses him and hugs him. Then he puts him down again and they continue walking. It is a wonderful thing to be walking along holding your father's hand. But it is an incomparably greater thing to have his arms enfolded around you. And that's the difference between knowing that God loves us in our heads and knowing that he loves us in our hearts. And sometimes in the midst of suffering and difficulty, it's that, ex- that experience of God's peace. We, uh, someone was um, talking about it um, earlier, about just experiencing an overwhelming sense of God's peace, even in the midst of great suffering. A Spurgeon uh, said, he has embraced us. He pours his love upon us and he hugs us. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century in his commentary on the book of Romans writes about the experience that the Holy Spirit the experience of God's love that the Holy Spirit gives to us he said let us realize then the profound character of the experience this is not light and superficial and ordinary it's not something of which you can say don't worry about your feelings worry about your feelings You will have such a depth of feeling that for a moment you may well imagine that you have never felt anything in your life before. It is the profoundest experience that a person can ever know. And that's the reality that God, by his Holy Spirit, brings to us. His peace, his grace and his love, which he pours into our hearts and that's the the view that we can enjoy when we've climbed up through the reality of our sin and our depravity and the the kind of the humility of realizing that it's only because of what Jesus has done on the cross it's by faith alone when we've climbed up through those difficult things and we stand and we look out over this fantastic view this is what it looks like The glory of God that we're going to live with forever. The peace that he brings us in our present circumstances. And the experience of knowing his love in our hearts. Isn't that a lovely view? Hallelujah.
Let's pray. I want to pray and we're just going to take a moment or two to allow God afresh this morning to fill our hearts with his love and with his peace. And just enjoy this view that we've gained access to by faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever's going on in our, in our lives, in our circumstances this morning, to know that if we put our faith in Jesus, this is the view that we can enjoy. 